Discretionary listener participation is advised for the following pro wrestling podcast. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy because he was once a guest here on the Stick to Wrestling podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is John McAdam. This is Stick to Wrestling. I want to thank both Bob Marley and Eric Clapton for performing that song about their favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling. Let me see. You want to join our Facebook group. It's really cool. Just search Stick to Wrestling in Facebook. It'll come right up, and I will let you in as, as soon as you ask. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, just search John McAdam. Follow the guy who has the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. I also want to thank Ted Henschel, Steve Roffel, and Vincent Roger for their generous donations to the Stick to Wrestling podcast. If you are interested in donating to this um, no paywall, no commercials, no nothing free podcast, just go to uh, Pro Wrestling Archives at gmail.com and donate via PayPal. Thank you in advance. We have a, a cool extra inning segment coming up, especially if you like NFL football. So brace yourself for that. That's coming up in about 60 minutes on our Facebook group. David Ferguson, after listening to a recent Stick to Wrestling podcast where we did the top 10 wrestlers from 1987, said, hey, you guys should do the top 10 wrestlers for 1997. And I said, OK, we'll do that today. And with that, I want to bring on. Uh, once again, a, a popular guest. He's been on before. It was a great show. Mr. Alfred Sumrall. Alfred, how are you? Thank you, for, thank you for coming on. I'm doing well, John. How's it going? Good to be on again. Good to have you. I actually had you kind of circled for this episode because we are going to be talking a little bit of football after we get done talking wrestling. But uh, 1997, what a wild year for wrestling. It was hard to, for me to get a, a top a top 10 down to just 10 wrestlers it was extremely hard personally when i was you know putting my list together one through four with you know some exceptions you know kind of like all right is this person three or four you know and obviously we'll get to all those that was pretty easy but then once we get down to the bottom it's like who you know subjectively who can i leave out and also you know and we'll probably get to this in a little bit how exactly do you treat ecw in all this because you know, they had a, in 97 was a great year for them, but it was a great year for WWF. It was a, you know, you had some really top stars in WCW. So there is a virtual hall of fame of guys that did not make my top 10, you know, as I'm sure we'll get to, as we see what our differences are and, and, and all that. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up ECW because I could not, I, I put up 20 wrestlers just by coincidence, could have been 19, could have been 21 that were under serious consideration. Not one of them was an ECW guy. And I just, I think Taz was ECW wrestler of the year, but I just don't see him competing with the WWF and WCW guys. And we don't even have to ask the question, okay, what would happen if Taz went to the WWF or WCW? He went to the WWF and he was just another guy. Right. No, I, I agree. I also have no ECW guys on my top 10 and I would have, I think the closest I would have had would have been RVD and Taz. And for two different reasons, Taz probably was the top guy in 97, but I think 
97 was also probably RVD's breakthrough year. He was the focal point of the invasion angle on Raw that, you know, I think was pretty successful. It it definitely gave those guys more national, you know, publicity than they'd ever had, really. Because, you know, in 97, ECW was still pretty hard to find in a lot of areas. I believe by that point, it was on Sports South, which I guess is Bally Sports South now that, like, the Braves are on. And it was, you had to record it. It was probably at 2 a.m. or something like that. So, I mean, it was really hard to find me. We were having to order the videotape still. But you had the whole Taz and Sabu angle for the whole year. Sabu's a guy that I wrote down. Um, Shane Douglas is another guy that I wrote down. But, yeah, but, I mean, in the, in my top 20, I do probably have Sabu, you know, Douglas, Taz, RVD. Raven even had a good year. But they're at the bottom of the top 20 for sure. It's kind of like in you know, not to not not to fast forward to football, but in college football, you know, you've got a top 25 right now. And as we saw what Georgia did to Oregon, you know, a day after we're recording this, Oregon is probably only number 11 because there had to be somebody ranked 11th. But yeah, I think once you just get into that top 10, it, it's really hard for those ECW guys to really, you know, break through that wall. I mean, 1997 wrestlers, I agree with you. It's almost like a pyramid. I mean, there's a clear spaces at number one two and three for me at least and then you know as the pyramid goes down much like the college football top 25 it's like you know a lot of the guys are i want to say indistinguishable but similar mm-hmm. in terms of value to what they brought to the promotion and to pro wrestling in 1997 right i uh, i totally agree and i mean and there is you know like i just said at the end of the top 10 is where it got really hard for me it's like even you know, I, I know it doesn't, I guess it doesn't matter if you're number seven versus number nine, but when you've got, when it was such a huge, huge year, it's an enjoyable year. It's a year that, you know, I think almost in a way kind of gets better as we think about it. Cause I, when I was actually thinking back to the things that happened in 97, I was almost surprised that all of these things, you know, happened in 97, none of them in 98, you know, it's not 25 years, you know, I can forget a lot of things in 25 years, but yeah, all this stuff happened in one calendar year. And then even some things that I'd forgotten about as I was kind of reviewing, just kind of, you know, exactly just making sure I wasn't leaving things out on the year that some of these guys who ended up making my top 10 actually had. I mean, it was a wild year in pro wrestling. I mean, pro wrestling was on its rear end coming into 1995. And by 1997, it was what people were talking about at the office. I mean, there was no moment where if you went to a mall, you couldn't, if someone says, okay, find someone in a wrestling shirt, you absolutely would have found someone in a wrestling shirt. Oh, without a doubt. And you had stores, you had, um, you know, even Spencer's, if nothing else, um, the sports stores that were still in malls back then, you know, they were also in wrestling shirts, your Walmarts, your targets, your, I guess, Kmart was still around then. Um, yeah, I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, you had the NWO was as mainstream, you know, you had NWO shirts, like you said, everywhere. And even from a business standpoint, I mean, you get think in January of 97, WWF sells out the Alamo Dome um, in San Antonio. And a year plus before that, they're struggling to probably pull 500 into high school gyms in the Northeast. You know, and it's just kind of just took off. You had the Austin 316 stuff that took off at the end of 96. And obviously he's a huge part of 97. So yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, and and I think it was a a beautiful thing too, is like both companies are having resurgences kind of at the same time. They were, I mean, not long before that, uh, 
uh, San Antonio uh, sellout, the Alamo Dome. Think about this. They had WrestleMania at the Hartford Civic Center, which is not exactly the nicest building I've ever no. been to. And they have it to save production costs. That's where the WWF was like a year earlier. And now we've got, you know, the basically they've changed their storylines. They've gotten away from the stuff for little kids and they've gotten more adult oriented and it exploded. Right. And even, you know, I want to say WrestleMania 13, you know, in what March, I think that was a really early WrestleMania for some reason, but in March of 97, I think, it, you know, at that time, it has one of the greatest matches of all time that still stands up. But I think from a business standpoint, it did very, very poorly. So even going into 97, I would think Vince McMahon probably still, even on the heels of that sellout, you know, Royal Rumble, Vince McMahon probably still had some some big question marks as to, you know, what the business was going to be like, especially having to compete with the NWO week in and week out and the numbers that WCW was pulling in. I was dead wrong in 1997. I I was going pretty much the whole year, even when things were going well. I was very much afraid that either A, the WWF was going to go out of business, unlikely, or B, that a, a major conglomerate was going to purchase it from the McMahon family. And Vince dodged that bullet. And 1997 and 1998 were a great big reason. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, and you go into 97, you can, well, I guess, I mean, you see the beginning of Mr. McMahon forming uh, at the end of 97, really the first time we'd ever seen Vince as a character. Um, if you take a, you know, if you ignore the the stuff he did in Memphis in probably 94, 93 or 94, where it's basically the same character, just now we're seeing it on a, on a global level. Which is, you know, anyone who has never seen the McMemphis stuff really owes it to themselves to watch that stuff. It was good stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, sadly, though, 97, I think the USWA actually dies because I want to say I went to the last show at the Big One Expo Center. I think I think school because I would have been a first half of 97 was my freshman year of college and second half would have been my sophomore year. And I'm pretty sure I went to the last USWA show. So that was, I mean, that was a, you know, definitely a favorite promotion of mine, Lawler being top two favorite wrestler of all time, you know, one A or one B, depending on what mood I'm in. Who's the other one? Uh, Flair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rick Flair. And I don't know if you saw my Facebook, I got to meet him finally. Um, about two weeks ago at a baseball game in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, he was doing an appearance. So that was kind of a little bucket list item getting to, to meet Ric Flair for the first time, probably only time. But yeah, so, you know, it was a little, you know, there's a, definitely a part of my childhood went away when the USWA finally died. I mean, it was on, you know, you can't even call it a last leg. I mean, I don't even know what, know. what you maybe a, a last toothpick maybe <laughs> for, for a very long time. But, you know, I mean, just a year before that, you had Rocky Maivia and there's Flex Cavana and, you know, you had, you had a decent angle with some ECW guys, but it, it just needed to die and it did. So yeah, so that you know that happens in '97. Yeah, I mean Vince's business is is struggling. You know, into the summer really, it was weird. I you know I'd forgotten that there was a couple of significant events that we'll talk about. You know, in the top ten that happened at Raw's that I was actually at because this was during the summer and they were in places like Biloxi, Mississippi, Mobile, Alabama, small arenas. They can get really, really cheap, draw a decent crowd for TV. You know, you had the infamous Sean losing his smile and Lowell Mass. I mean, they were in these small arenas and smaller towns. 
meanwhile, WCW was probably doing much better financially, business-wise. Um, you know, they were drawing big crowds in big arenas, but even like into 97, they were, WWF was still, you know, having to, to book these smaller arenas, I think. I got to get this in. The girl who was on TV crying her eyes out when Sean lost her smile, his smile, I knew her. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say her name. I'm like, oh, my God, there she is on TV crying her eyes out. But anyway. oh, you, uh, well, I guess it's a good thing that gifts on the Internet didn't exist back then because she would have uh, definitely been one. She could have preceded. She could have preceded Ms. Girl, if nothing else. <laughs> Ms. Girl, I almost forgot about her. Oh, All right, God, she's got me in her. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my number 10, and this is one that I struggle with. It's like, because, you know, if if number 10, you know, th- this is where it's kind of the line gets drawn. I actually put Mick Foley as number 10. He, and I put Mick Foley because I could, you know, it's kind of a conglomeration of mankind. Um, Cactus Jack, I kind of, that great Falls County Anywhere match against Triple H. Um, the dude love stuff was just entertaining as heck. Um, this is his first full year in WWF. Uh, he's just an all around him. He was a guy you could count on. I think, you know, he's going to deliver a, a great solid match. And, you know, here we got, this is still a time when WWF is struggling. You get three characters for the price of one with Mick Foley. I had mankind slash Mick Foley as number seven for no other reason than, I mean, he, was on top of one pay-per-view. He had that great feud. It was a little bit long, but it was still an excellent feud with The Undertaker. And the guy was just so damn entertaining. That that character was phenomenal. At first, I didn't like it because I'm like, oh, God, you know, I loved Mick Foley, and it's a WWF cartoon. But Mick Foley really added, he put himself into that character, and I thought it was one of the, the best things they'd ever done. I mean, I would tune in Monday night looking forward to my Mankind segment, so I had yep. him even higher than you did. Oh, that's yeah, and and I can't argue with that at all. Yeah, and I think even him coming in as Cactus Jack was, was was such a surprise. And I really think the dude love stuff really helped show his personality, because I think that if we, and you can make an argument, if we didn't see the real Mick Foley, the personality, the guy come through, I don't know if he's very long for the WWF once they hit the Attitude Era, which starts in 1997 as well, because. You know, I don't. You know, I don't know if 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 just mankind that in that drab brown outfit. I don't know how long that character lasts in WWF. I know that's kind of a controversial take, maybe, but it's you know, it's kind of once you you can only feud with the Undertaker so many times. In my opinion, that is not a controversial take at all. I mean. I think if you had given that gimmick to the average person, the average wrestler, you're right. That drab brown outfit, that silly mask, the guy pulling out his hair on TV, it wouldn't have worked. But Mick Foley, you know, like I said, he he put his soul into that character and he made it work. And it was it was absolutely great. I mean, a lot of people are critical of Mick Foley because he'll come up with an idea and he'll approach McMahon or he'll he would have approached a Vince Russo or whoever, and they would listen to it and they'd be like, okay. You know, I like the idea. Here's a couple of tweaks to it, but we'll do it. And, you know, he made it all work. And he, he was a very entertaining wrestler in 1997. Yep. Completely agree. I think he's definitely worthy of a spot on both of our top tens. All right. There now I'm going to give my number 10. There really isn't that much difference as we had stated before between like my number 10 and my number 15, but I gave it to sting. 
as my number 10, he was not in the ring a lot, but he was definitely a, he was a force on nitro. He was a central character, despite the fact that he wasn't wrestling a lot. So that's what kind of separated him from the pack and, and made him my number 10. Where did you have him ranked at all, Alfred? I did. I had Sting at number eight, and I Sting was a guy that I, you know, you, you had to think about like where to slot him because you cannot talk about 1997 at all without talking about Sting, even though he only wrestles to one match, I believe, and it's what Starcade is after Christmas. It's like December 28th or something like that. So for so. 362 days of, of the year, Sting did not actually wrestle a match. I don't think. But he's also, you know, the focal point of WCW's, that Sting-Hogan feud in 97 was probably WCW's most well-thought-out feud of all time. It may have been their only thought-out feud of all time. Uh. Um, <laughs> he's, you know, among their most popular stars without wrestling one match. You know, you had, you would go into, you know, your Spencer's or, or whatever, right next to the NWO shirt, it's probably a Sting shirt. Um, his action figures were selling, things like that. I mean, even though he's not wrestling, he's still a focal point of every Nitro, even if it's just a, a shot of him up in the rafters. So I think you you absolutely have to put him in the top 10. You know, one of the things, I am a lot less critical of Eric Bischoff than a lot of people. I think he, he had his vision, and no, it didn't last forever, but when it, when it was, you know, 1997, he had a great run, and there were people who were like, okay, why are you paying Sting this salary? I forget exactly how much Sting was making. It was a lot, and he's not even wrestling. It's like it doesn't matter if he's not wrestling. He's still a focal point on your television, and you are building up your biggest event of the year by having Sting doing what he was doing. I thought I thought it was really sure. brilliant. Yeah, I want to say, you know, if we believe the numbers, I want to say it was like 750000 they easily made that on Starcade, I'm sure. Um, you made that on merchandise. You had the Crow Mask selling all the merchandise. They clearly made their money on Sting just by having him show up in the rafters, you know, every couple of weeks on Nitro. Yeah, I mean, if he's drawing TV ratings, doing what he was doing as opposed to actually wrestling, what difference does it make? Correct. Yeah, and I think even when you and Thomas did the um, did the '87 stuff, and with, with Andre, you almost sort of it's the same argument. You know, Andre wrestled what two or three matches in '87. Um, for I mean, totally different reasons than Sting, but he drew a huge. You know, he you don't you don't draw nearly what WrestleMania three drew without Andre in the main event. Um, same as Sting, that Sting Hogan feud had to come to a, a climax at some point, and it it barely made it into ninety seven, but it, it was in ninety seven, so it was a huge part of the year. I think you know what I think for me, I, I would not have voted for Sting at all if he didn't wrestle at all because it is top ten wrestlers. But good yep. comparison with Andre. Andre wrestled twice in eighty seven, and you can't deny the impact. Sting wrestled once in 1997 and he made a tremendous impact. So I, again, I've got, I've got him at number 10 and you've got him at number eight. It's not like, you know, we've got him at number one or number three, like I had Andre. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that match itself is very forgettable. If you think about it, I mean, he comes in and I've, I've heard Bischoff talk about how just, just upset he was that Sting came in without a tan. He probably wasn't in the best shape he'd been in. Um, the match is forgettable. You have that weird thing at the end with the 
the, I can't remember exactly with the Nick Patrick's count being off and then whatever happens at the end of the match. So it's a forgettable match, but still just the whole the build up to the feud itself was just really, really well done by WCW. It really was. All right, Alfred, who do you have at your number nine spot? So for number nine, I think we start getting one of these guys who really broke through in WWF in 97. I've got a few of them on my list, and that is who becomes Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Um, we see DX form in, in 97. Obviously, you're not going to have a DX without Triple H. Um, he brings China into WWF in 97. She ends up being a huge, huge star, probably bigger than you know, arguably, you know, along with Sable, the biggest female star that, you know, we'd seen um, in wrestling, you know, I guess Sonny's cup of coffee being very short, but as far as, you know, just a, a big, big star there. Um, the feud with Mick Foley, I think, really put him on the map. He gets his King of the Ring uh, championship or King of the Ring winner that he was, you know, promised in 96. And then that, you know, the whole click stuff happens. You know, and he's the right-hand guy to, to Shawn Michaels for, you know, at least the second half of the year. So I think he he's one of those guys that really really broke through in '97. It was probably a, a year delayed because of his punishment with the click stuff, um, the curtain call. But yeah, I think he had a really really good 1997 and deserves a spot on my top ten. I had Nashville, New Hampshire's own Triple H <laughs> at number seventeen. Which ah. I mean that that's a good thing though because we're not going to have the exact same list. Correct. which I don't want. Um and. Again, number 17 is not a knock. I mean, I agree with everything you say. He was Shawn Michaels' right-hand man. He was obviously someone who the WWF had a high opinion on. Uh, he rebounded from not getting the the uh, king of the ring the year before as part of his punishment because they can't punish anyone else. So they took it out on him. And, yeah, he, he, no question about it. He had a huge 1997. Yep. I knew you'd bring in the Nashua, Nashua zone, so I didn't even mention it. Time to throw that in there. It's obligatory. Uh, Anyway, my number number nine nine was Randy Savage. And Savage, he was a big part to me of what made WCW a national promotion. Even in 97, when it felt like he was getting older, he main evented a couple of pay-per-views. He was always a, a big star on nitro, albeit, you know, at the end of the, you know, every Monday at about 1105, Randy Savage getting a snot beat out of him and having NWO painted <laughs> on his back, but he was still a focal part of the promotion. He was a, a household name for the most part. And I don't think WCW is, is, is as successful as it was without Randy Savage, just because of the name brand. So there's where I have yeah. it. Oh yeah, no, I totally. So I don't have Savage in my top ten, but he would probably be if I ranked my, you know, also receiving votes. He'd probably be in that thirteen, fourteen range, just because it's. I mean, it's there's you can only put ten guys in the top ten, and yeah, I mean everything you said about Savage is true. The feud with DDP that puts DDP on the map, always in the main event. A casual fan that's flipping through, flipping through Nitro. Recognizes Randy Savage. I mean, he was, you know, next to Hogan, the second most recognizable guy in, you know, in WCW at the time. I am in in agreement. I mean, you know, and like, there's not that much difference between where I had him and where you had him. Sure. Well, who do you have at your number eight spot? So I had Sting at number eight. Oh, okay. So that means yeah. I've got to go next to. I'm. I went with Ric Flair. Ric Flair was the centerpiece of the Four Horsemen. He was still a big part of WCW, especially in the South. 
uh, Virginia, the Carolinas, etc. Big recognizable name and was still having really good matches despite being in his mid to late 40s. Um, you know, he main evented a couple of pay-per-views, always a focal point of Nitro. So I went with Rick. Yep, and I did not, you know, have Rick in mind. And this is probably if you go back and do a top ten, if we from you know 1981 or even before that on, this would probably be the first year that I don't put Flair in the, you know, in a top ten. He'd probably be in that 15 to 20 range. I believe there was some, you know, he was out part of the year for an injury, and just I mean, you have Hogan that has the world title 50 of 50 out of 52 weeks. You know, Hogan's got the world title. You know, Flair wasn't, I don't feel Flair was really in that world title picture very much, um, feuding against Hogan at all, I don't think. Um, so it was really hard for me to, you know, honestly, I don't even, I mean, I have his name written down just as when jotting down names, but I really don't think I considered Flair at all for a spot in the top 10, which pains well, me I- to say, but pains me to say, but it is, you know. As one of my, you know, as my one A or one B all-time favorite wrestler, I think this would have been the the, the year that Flair is a guy in his, you know, mid to late forties. That's not really, you know, he would have a couple of world title, you know, technically world title reigns after this, and then, you know, goes on to do, um, you know, several years in WWF. So it's not like he was at the end of his career or anything. He was still having good matches, but. I just nothing about '97 really. Flair really stands out to me, you know. Which is tough for me to say, but it is what it is. Well, I agree with everything you said, except I think before 1981, you could have had Ric Flair in your top 10 almost every year. I think it's like starting in 77. And I can see where you're coming from. I mean, Flair, uh, yeah, I said he was a big part of the show. A big part of the show meant that the uh, NWO was constantly burying him, making him look bad, you know. Arn Anderson offers Kurt Henning not just a yep. spot, but my spot, and then my Kurt spot. Henning sides with the NWO. Yeah, I mean, yep. it was embarrassing. Right, and then you have yeah, and then you have Nash doing his uh, you know, the, the parody of that. Yeah, that was in ninety. I was in late ninety seven. It sure was. And then, but they have the is was it is it's at fall brawl. They have the war games, and I think and I've heard Shivani talk about they you know absolutely killed Winston Salem as a town. Um, you know, that was always a main, a Jim Crockett promotions mainstay. And they literally killed that town with that war games match with the NWO against the horsemen. You know, it it got to the point 97 was the last year I watched WCW. I stopped in like February, March 98, because I came away saying, all right, I don't need to watch this anymore. It just gets me mad. And part of the reason why I would hear that, Oh, they're doing, uh, Nitro, uh, somewhere in North Carolina, somewhere in South Carolina, somewhere in Virginia, and I, I would instinctively be like, okay, what are they going to do to Ric Flair this week? And I was mm-hmm. always right. They went out of their way to bury him in his in his hometowns. Yeah, but to that point, though, if you're if a guy's getting buried on national TV like that, I mean, can you really put him in a top ten? And I'm mean, yeah, I mean, I and I, say, and I totally get why why you put him in there. And like I said, it pained me to not even consider him. And I think indirectly it was just because there was nothing that really stood out besides him getting buried. Yeah, it was Nitro could be rough to watch at times. It was it, it could yeah. be great at times, but it could be rough to watch at times. Well, when did All right, when I did had, was it? Oh, sorry. When did it be, was it? Three hours in '97, or was that not till later? Because that's where it became I, really, I, that's where it became brutal. I think 
deck happened in 98. I remember like okay. 97, it was like 11 o'clock and I'd be like, okay, you know, what's going to happen to Randy Savage or Ric Flair? It's, it's their time to get beat down and it happened. Yep. yep. Like clockwork. All right. All right. So we've done your number eight. Have we done your number seven? We have not nailed number seven yet. And that would be Lex Luger. And I think he was WCW's backbone in 97. Um, probably one of the only years I would have Luger in a top 10. He's not, he'll, he'll never appear on my list of favorite wrestlers. I, I'm not a work rate guy or anything like that. He, you know, he, he was what he was a great body guy. And, you know, if he needed to, you know, give you a good match. I mean, he was capable, depending on his opponent, of course. But, I, you know, he was all over the top of the card. He had a great moment on Nitro when he beats Hogan for the title and then, of course, loses it right back. But, yeah, I mean, I think of, you know, if there's an MVP on the baby on the babyface side, I mean, I guess DDP is the obvious MVP. And spoiler alert, he's ranked a little higher than Lex Luger on my, on my top ten. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Luger definitely gets MVP consideration for sure um, because he was the established star. Kind of like, I, I think Luger, it probably takes my, the, where you put, Sa- for every reason you put Savage in the top ten, I put Luger in the top ten. Although I'll definitely concede Savage is a much more, it was, it was a much bigger star to a bigger audience than Luger was. But Luger had been around, you know, the national block for about ten years at this point. You know, Casual wrestling fans knew who he was, you know, so I think he just had a really big spot on the top of the card kind of, you know, especially in the absence of sting to where you needed this established WCW guy, you know, it kind of leading the charge against the NWO that was actually wrestling and that that was actually going to show up in the ring. Yeah, I had Luger at number 16. Um, which is, again, it's not a knock. I mean, 97 was such a big year for WWF and WCW. I agree with everything you said as far as Lex Luger goes. He was consistently at or near the top of the card. He was not a bad worker like people make him out to be. Um, As time went on, he got worse and worse. But 97, Mm -hmm. he definitely was not bad. My knock on Lex Luger, and this is kind of just a personal feeling, but I remember watching him in 97, and I thought the same thing about the Legion of Doom. Like, Luger, to me, felt like a a relic from the 80s. He felt like parachute pants on my television set. (laughs) And that's the only negative. You didn't didn't live through that era, man. No, I I mean, I I don't get that about Luger. He's not, I guess because, I mean, he shows up in in the late 80s is kind of when he makes his name. But, I mean, that is a long 10 years. I just don't get the same feeling. Now, Luger, you know, that... This stuff, you know, in, in hindsight, it's tough to watch the stuff with him and, and Miss Elizabeth at the end of WCW. That's really tough to watch, knowing everything that happened. But that's where I really see Luger as just this relic, this like rusty, rusty relic, kind of like the, the what you're getting out with the LOD, you know, those various incarnations of the LOD coming back in WWF and WCW in the late 90s. I mean, this is 98, but I remember them coming out for uh, whatever WrestleMania it was in 98, and they they put them with Sonny, and they gave them new yeah. outfits, and I'm just like, yeah. it's the over. Yeah. This is 15, yeah. 15 years yeah. into it. it the, the, the gimmick has run its course. Right. I mean, uh, Sonny, uh, Sonny in that outfit is phenomenal. I mean, that was probably, that may have been the, 
that may have been one of the you know last times that Sonny unfortunately looked like that because um, it got bad awfully quick. But yeah, I mean, I definitely I was WrestleMania 14 in Boston. I think I think they were in the opening match, some four way tag or something like that. Is LOD 2000 Battle Royal? Yeah. Oh, was it the Battle Royal? Yep, yep, yeah. But even worse, <laughs> even worse than this is you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess they they all get a WrestleMania check, but yeah, it's uh it's even yeah, it means even worse than than a four-way tag match that meant nothing. Yeah, it was almost like a battle royal featuring the new LOD, LOD 2000. It's like LOD 2000 might sound pretty cool in 1975, but when you're 20 months away from the actual 2000. <laughs> right. Not right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, no, um, no, totally agree. Who do you have as your 7? My seven was mankind. Who's your oh, six? You're right. You're right. My six, um, six was Undertaker. Um, you know, I think of, of all that he, you know, kind of used the glue that held the WWF together. You know, if, if I had to describe him as one thing, um, he wins the world title at WrestleMania 13 against Sid, and it's his first real title reign, and he keeps it for what until the summer, so a good five months or so. Um, he had great matches with Brett. And obviously, you know, with Mick, um, Austin, and a, you know, one of the two, probably, you know, 97, I think WWF gives us two of their best matches of all time. One of them being Austin Brett, the other being Sean Undertaker in, in the first Hell in a Cell, where we see the debut of Kane. He has the, the whole thing going on with Paul Bearer the whole year, or not the whole year, the, for the few months where, you know, Paul is, I'm not going to do a Paul Bearer impression, but, you know, where Paul tells us Kane is coming, Kane is coming, and then we finally see him. And, you know, this leads to about, you know, the next several, several years, decade plus where Undertaker and Kane are intertwined, you know, together. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I think it's kind of a, a very full year for Undertaker in 97 as well. I had Undertaker at number five, so we're pretty oh. much on the same page. The whole Undertaker, Paul Bearer, uh, Kane dynamic, I mean, it really spoke volumes just by itself on the direction the WWF was going in. I mean, that was inconceivable just a couple of years er Mm -hmm. earlier that they would put together a storyline like that. And to say the least, it worked. And I agree with you, Shawn Michaels versus the undertaker in hell in the cell. It's not just in the argument for like match of the year or an all time great match. It's in the argument for 1990s match of the decade. Oh, for sure. And I, I and and I personally prefer it to. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I often and I'm you know I kind of bounce back and forth between comparing it and Austin and Brett at WrestleMania 13. I kind of do bounce back and forth as to what's the best match. But I mean, that was Sean's last great match for a really really long time. You know, he had to, he he ended up having some good ones when he when he came back. But you know, obviously with with his injuries and all that, it's Sean's last you know, great match for several years. You could, I mean, you could say it's his last great match, but I mean, he definitely had some, you know, his, his retirement match, the flair retirement match at WrestleMania 28, I think was, was just an amazing match. Um, but it's his last great match for a long time for sure. And yeah, the whole, the whole angle with Kane and Paul bear and yeah, we talk about how the Hogan sting was probably WCW's best thought out angle. This one here is just an amazing, you know, everyone who thought of that, you know, you couldn't have written it any better than you did. And then I think, 
you know, picking Glenn Jacobs for Kane to play the Kane character was, I think, brilliant. I mean, just, I mean, talk about a guy that just, you know, for no fault of his own had been totally written off. I mean, you've given him, you know, two of the worst gimmicks possible. Um, but, you know, must have definitely, you know, been a, a a favored guy of The Undertaker because I'm sure Undertaker had some say in who was going to play Kane. I'm sure Taker had had the 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 weight at that point to go into Vince's office and you know at least sign off on who was going to play the guy, um, because this was going to be a guy he was going to be married to for the rest of his career. Excellent points. I mean, what a night that was when they had that first Hell in a Cell match. I mean, you you know that you have this incredibly brutal match, great match. And all of a sudden, like this guy comes out, you have this explosion, he comes to the ring and he rips the cage off the door yep. and Jim Ross starts screaming, oh my God, yep. that must be Kane. That's got to be Kane. <laughs> That's got to be Kane. Yep. And I mean, just, yeah, I mean, they could not have, you give them 100 additional tries, they could not have done that, not that debut any better. I don't think there's any, I'm sure we're probably leaving something out, but I cannot think of a better debut for a character than the way they, de- they, they debuted Kane. I mean, it still holds up 25 years later. I can't think of a, a better one either. And just after the match, you see Shawn Michaels just covered in blood being yep. dragged to the dressing room by Triple H in China. And yep. you're just like, you know, what have I, what did I just see? This WWF right, yeah. stuff. It, it's not, you know, this kiddie show anymore. No, no. It, it, yeah. And that, and that's, I mean, and Sean's role in that, because I mean, you had to undertaker had to have a dance partner for that, for that match. And, you know, when you're the first, you know, the first match of that type, I mean, you have nothing to, you know, you have nothing to go by, you know, and then Sean's bump off the top of the cage and, and, and things like that. And I mean, Hell in a Cell, to me, it's still a gimmick that I like. I don't love it now when they, you know, may have two or three on on, on a pay-per-view, but when they do the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, at least I guess it's contained to that. But still, I mean, it's still a a good gimmick. It's theoretically supposed to be the blow-off to a feud, being in a cage. But yeah, I mean, just a, just such a great match, uh, you know, such a great match, such a great debut. And then I love the fact that the Undertaker and Kane don't touch each other until WrestleMania 14. So that, you got you know another, you right. go with seven months. Yeah. You go seven months, you know, cause he does not want to fight, you know, he doesn't want to fight his brother. Doesn't want to fight his brother. So they go seven months without touching each other, which, you know, even back then seemed like a long time. Now that would seem like an eternity. It would seem like, you know, seven years. If two guys went seven months without, you know, in a feud without ever touching. And then just, you know, all the twists and turns that, that, that that's Kane undertaker storyline takes over the next 10, 12 years. Yeah, I thought the whole thing was great. I mean, you know what? I'm going to go off on a, a non-97 tangent. I mean, one of the great things about Hell in a Cell is it was a culmination of a feud between Michaels and Undertaker. Now it's, it's like, okay, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is scheduled. Who are we going to have in this match? And to me, right. they're doing it. They've been doing it for 20 years completely backwards. It's supposed to be like, all right, we're we're at the end end here we have no choice we have to have a hell in a cell match because things are that out of control between these two wrestlers like i i think they did it right in 97 they're and they've been doing it wrong for a long time now right yeah even the um the 98 the mankind undertaker match because i mean they had you know you know they were involved after that match you know you know um but yeah i think it was done right the first time for sure 
Yeah, that <laughs> don't get me started on that Mankind versus Undertaker match. It's <laughs> all kinds of stuff that should have never happened. But my, my number six, the wrestling uh, internet has gone completely bipolar on this guy over the last few months. I have Kevin Nash at number six. Um, in 1997, Kevin Nash might have been the most hated person in the pro wrestling underground for no apparent reason. And now he is amongst the most beloved for no apparent reason. But again, WCW, I mean, they're just not a major league company without Kevin Nash appearing. It was a year before, but still, he, you know, he carried on as one of their major stars. He was one of the biggest stars on their television. You know, top of the card. Was he a great worker? No. Was he as bad as some people made him out to be also no. So, you know, just based on star power alone, I've got Kevin Nash number six. Yeah, I am. Um, he, he's not in my top 10, but he's probably in that 12, 13, 14 range. Everything you said, you don't have a, a 97 WCW without Kevin Nash. I just didn't have a spot for him in, in you know, in my top 10, because I, I, I think I was, you know, he was, he was a star. I think he just had, uh, you know, a couple of real breakthrough um, stars in, in, in WWF that kind of probably took a spot that a Kevin Nash would normally take. But yeah, he had a fantastic year. Um, and yeah, to your point about how he's this beloved, I don't, I don't want to say grandpa figure, but you know, I mean, he's guy in his sixties now, you know, the hair has gone gray and all that. He seems like the same guy. He's always been just, a, a you know, a smart ass, funny, you know, he's probably just the guy he's always been, but just, you know, and I, I've never I've never met Kevin Nash. I bet if he was, you know, doing an appearance at a show or a baseball game or something, I know he does a lot of those. You know, I'd probably go out of my way to meet him if he was close by or something like that. It just seems like a uh, just seems like a guy you really enjoy hanging out with these days. I was it probably at, always was, but I mean, I was at the 2001 Brian Pillman Memorial Show, and I, I was around Kevin Nash for a little while. He's the same guy off camera as he is on camera. And in a way, that's what makes me a little bit or made me a little bit of a fan, because if he was on TV, I was going to be entertained. He was funny and he seemed genuine. And then four years later, I learned he was the genuine deal. He, he, yep. he was who he was. Yep. Well, I think a lot of too, I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I think the, the political climate that we're in right now, he's showing, you know, where he sits on, on the side of things. I think that has endeared him to, you know, a lot of a lot of the wrestling fans, kind of especially on on Twitter and all that. I, I, I don't know if there's any truth to really if that's why it endears him. Um, but, you know, he's he's Kevin Ash is always going to be vocal. He, you know, he's going to be vocal about what he thinks about things. Um, so possibly that's why he's kind of ha he's got this popularity now that he, he never had before. It's not like, I don't, I don't think it's the wrestling fans realizing, Oh, this guy really wasn't as bad as we thought he was. Cause these are the same fans that think they know everything about work rate and all that kind of stuff. When, yeah, I guess Nash was never as bad as anyone ever thought he was. He's a big guy. I mean, what do you, he's, you know, a legit six ten, six eleven. I, I suppose. He was. What, he yeah. 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 What do you expect the guy to do? And he wasn't, and he was not a young, he wasn't the youngest guy, you know, in the late nineties either. He's what probably got to be pushing 40 around that. Yeah. Late thirties got to be pushing 40 and that's probably late forties pushing 50 on a guy that size, you know, he'd obviously had his injuries with, you know, playing basketball for your Vols or I wouldn't say not playing too much, but you know, obviously injuries derailed his basketball career. 
and just you know those big guys. I mean, when they you know when they start getting injuries, they 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 fade pretty fast in you know in 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 any kind of sport. So you know if Nash is thirty eight, that you know that's probably about forty eight for a normal size guy. I mean, I or remember for a 48 them doing. For a big guy. Yeah, I mean, I remember them doing an angle where you know the cops escorted him to his s to his Corvette, and him saying, "Okay, guys, I've got a bad knee. Take it easy." Like yep. you know, that was a hundred percent legit. That his knees just, or at least one of his knees, just really sucked. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean that's something you don't. I mean, short of a knee replacement, there is no way for a big guy to you get cured of that. I mean, there's there's you know, you can't just send him home for a year and, and, and tell him to put some ice on. It's not going to fix the problem. No, supposedly he's had some kind of a, a therapy recently where his knees have gotten much better. Some, I don't even know what it is. I'm not a medical person. Yeah, I want to say, yeah, right. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him walking around or anything, but, you know, when then he well, he tears his quad in that uh, in his WWF comeback about, what, 2000. 10? God, that was long. It doesn't feel like that long ago. You know, I think he tears his quad or something like that in his last old WWF run. And yeah, just, you know, the injuries. But yeah, and no, good for him. I mean, he just seems like a good guy. I mean, you know, I, I, I get why people didn't like him. I, you know, I, I, I guess I can see why the internet didn't like him back then, especially, and this is the early days of the internet too. But yeah, like, like you said, I mean, I, I would like to meet the guy one day and I fully expect him to be exactly like you saw on TV. I think a lot of the dislike for Kevin Nash was he was an outsider coming in. He's a guy who was a, a bouncer. I mean, we just talked about this. He was a bouncer at a strip club. He's six foot ten. He's a bodybuilder. He's a good looking guy. Hey, why don't you try out the wrestling business? And guess what? He got over. It's not his fault mm-hmm. that, you know, he got that spot and he made it work for him. He got over. No one can deny that. Right, and he's and he's a friendly guy. He's a funny guy. Why wouldn't Sean and and Razor? Of course, they're going to want to be friends with this guy. You know, um, who, who wouldn't want to be friends with this guy? So he's a he, he's a beneficiary of that he. It wasn't his fault that WCW let his contract run out, and it wasn't his fault that WWF hired him to be, you know, Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. And you know, and you got a guy that's. You know, freaking Oz and Vinny Vegas in WCW going nowhere fast, and and you can't blame WCW for not renewing his contract. Why would you renew Vinny Vegas's contract? And then he's in the right place at the right time. You know, in '94, I guess he's in the right place at the right time. You know, going to WWF to be a you know to be Sean's bodyguard, which obviously you know how that's going to set up, and we've seen this happen a million times. And then, yeah, it's a terrible time for the business when he's on top, but he's still on top of the WWF for most of 95. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a terrible, terrible business. This is, you know, when they're struggling to fill up a high school gym, you know, somewhere, you know, in, in New Hampshire, you know, in Nashua, maybe. But yeah, he's still on top of the business. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you could see, you just take one look at the guy and you see why he's pushable. And it wasn't like superstar Billy Graham was having five star matches either. Sure. He got over because of his look, just like Kevin Nash. But anyway, well, and then, well, I was going to say they've always, I think mean, Bruce Pritchard is a, is a guy that always mentions the airport test. Like, would you notice this guy in an airport? And there is not an airport in this world. You would not notice a Kevin Nash walking through it. You know, I've never heard that before, but that's actually a really good point. You know, you, you want someone who has that star power. Yep. I had no Undertaker at number five. Who did you have at number five, Alfred? So, 
Number five was my probably my WCW MVP, and that was DDP. I mean, he's the breakout star of WCW. Just has a hell of a year. And oh God, what what would DDP have been in in ninety seven forty four? Maybe. I mean, he's got to be in his late sixties right now. Looks phenomenal, but he's got to be probably forty three, forty four in ninety seven. Just has you know Sting. You know Sting had Sting had a career revi- career revival in one way. Luger did another way. But I think DDP just becomes you know one of their hottest, and most popular stars. That series with Savage was just amazing. You know, and 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 Savage gets you know all the credit in the world for that. I mean, Savage makes DDP a star, and he's the lead baby face. I you know I, I would say he's the lead baby face. You know, against the NWO, arguably more so than Luger. Um, than Luger and Sting, um, because we once DDP once once DDP gave Hall the diamond cutter, we knew where DDP stood. You know, there was that whole you know you had the question with the fake stings and all that stuff. So there's that that area of doubt. And Luger, I mean, you know, Luger's turned you know 700 times in his career, so you, you never knew if Luger might turn or not. But yeah, I mean, I think DDP is my MVP for WCW for sure in '97. I had DDP at number eleven. And even even at that, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, he I give the guy a ton of credit. I mean, he goes from being a manager in the AWA. He's a manager that's a head and a half taller than one of the guys he manages. <laughs> he is a he's a big guy. He's a legit six five, you know, if he's anything. So I'm six three, six four, and he's a definitely legit, you know, six four, six five. Yeah, and you know he he was always funny on TV, and here he is in his early forties, maybe late thirties, and he learns how to work. And guess what? He turned into a good worker in in, in the middle of his life. I mean, you know, exactly. Yeah. And and one thing about GDP, I've always heard this, and now I mean it's out there. We all know it because of the stuff he's done with people like Jake Roberts. Yeah, everyone liked DDP, and I mean just about everyone, unless you're a basket case like Scott Steiner. Uh, Yeah, you know he was a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the. You know, again, we we want to talk about it. it's not his fault. It's not his fault. He was Bischoff's neighbor. You know, I mean, yeah. God, I mean, so he's. So I just looked him up. He's forty one in for the for the. He's born in April. Um, so he's forty one for most of ninety seven. I mean, I, I thought he was a little bit older. So yeah, I mean, you got a guy that, yeah, five years before that he's a manager. Um, even well, even coming into WCW as a manager. Um, and he's a guy, I guess, probably because of probably his, you know. The bar, you know, the, the the bar manager lifestyle and all that. I don't know. He he always he's a guy that always looked. I mean, he always looked old at the time. He looked older than he was. I thought, um, kind of like we see, you know, kind of divvying in the sports. You see, like a Sparky Anderson or a Jim Leland that was forty and looked eighty. DDP, I, I would say, always looked a little bit older. Now he's sixty six and he looks, you know, a hell of a lot better than I do at forty three. You know, I guess it's funny how it works like that. But yeah, I mean, just a good guy. The only knock on him you ever heard was he got his spot because he was Bischoff's friend, Bischoff's buddy, Bischoff's neighbor. Okay, fine. You still have to earn it. Um, you know, once you get in the ring, once you get put in that top spot, the fans still have to. At that stage, I don't think Bischoff is going to push his gardener or his buddy if he's stinking up the joint. Especially as a newer guy and things like that, and it's not like he had a, he he didn't have to do it. He wasn't a ho, you know. I'm sure Hogan had his you know his buddies that yeah you know I'm kind of stuck. I'm gonna have to push this guy, uh, especially when Piper comes in you know in in '97 and all that. But yeah, I mean I think DDP earned every single accolade he got in '97, and then you know later on for the rest of his career. 
and just, you know, the stuff he's done for Scott Hall, Jake Roberts, probably guys that we'll never even know about the guys he's helped. Um, you know, just a, a fantastic guy. Yeah, everyone has good things to say about him, again, except for the, the total psychopaths out there. Let's talk about right. Roddy Piper for a second. I gave him consideration. I had him at number 13 uh, because he was such a star and he main evented pay-per-views. But there was something about Roddy Piper in 97. He was about as old as Hulk, Hulk Hogan, about mm-hmm. as old as Randy Savage. I don't have it in front of me, but it's close. I mean, yeah, he was. And for whatever reason, though, Piper stood out as the old man in this promotion. I don't know what it was, but more so than anyone, even more so than Flair, Piper just came across as a a crippled old man. I don't know why, but I wasn't the only one that noticed. No, well, so so I just looked. Piper is only forty three. He's also uh, an April birthday, so yeah, he's only he's only forty three for the. uh, for the majority of 97. Um, yeah, I would have, yeah, he looked much older, crippled. Um, it just, I mean, well, Hogan and Savage kept themselves in such great shape. I mean, they were tanned. They were, you know, bigger guys, you know, you know, and all that. Um, even Savage was probably bigger than, you know, the one I'm not talking about how, how unfortunately how big he got towards the end of his career. Um, when it, it was just ridiculous, but yeah, I never thought of Piper as a big guy or anything. Um, but yeah, they both looked, so much better than Piper at all times. And those Piper Hogan matches the you know, age in the cage as if they've been called, I mean, they were just so bad, you know, and, and I don't know. And, and for some reason this could be unfair or not. I probably blame Piper and the booking more so than I blame Hogan. Cause I think that, you know, Hogan really was just, you know, the top heel in, in there for the, for the duration of the year. So, I don't know why, for whatever reason, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a lot of the blame on Piper for that, because yeah, he just did not. It seems that like he did nothing to get himself into ring shape or anything like that. No, um, he was. I didn't. I'm a big Piper fan, but he was living off his past reputation for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I didn't. I mean, I had like he's a guy. I mean, I have his name jotted down, but I didn't give him any consideration. So I think you said you had him at 13. He would have probably been in my 18 or 19, and he headlines a couple of you know of WCW's biggest pay-per-views with Super Brawl and, and later Halloween Havoc. But yeah, no consideration at all for me. All right. Yeah, I he I gave him some consideration. He didn't make the the top 13, but when you're your main eventing pay-per-views, I mean, I I've at least got to think about you. But man, he was just not good. And he you know what? He wasn't good on interviews anymore. And yeah, that's it, wasn't, me, it was the is, same it was the same shtick. Yeah, it was the same stuff. You're right. I mean, and you could have, you know, you got to think Piper in the 80s you know, probably the most, you know, way controversial, the stuff he would say and all that, you know, he could have probably gotten away with some of that stuff, you know, later in the night, in the, in the late nineties, especially when you look at the other channel, what DX is doing, you know, with sausages and, and, you know, stripping down (laughs) their, their thongs and all that stuff. I'm sure Piper could have said something a little risque on nitro granted different standards and practices and all that, but I'm sure, I mean, he's Roddy Piper. It's a live show. He could have gotten away with it. And yeah, just like, I don't, remember a single promo that stood out i mean yeah the the dx was the young cool guys and roddy piper was just the old man limping around and like i said i'm not trying to disrespect the guy i'm I'm a huge fan if you if all you've seen is wwf and after roddy piper i mean seek out his mid-atlantic stuff the guy was incredible but i mean 97 i i had to consider him like i said because of his part on the card but i mean if there was 
he's in the argument for worst wrestler, which I guess is why he's not in my top ten. But who did you sure. have at number four? At number four, I have Steve Austin. Um, you know, in in a way, you know, this will probably be the last year for a while. He's ranked as low as number four, um, but kind of WWF in a way centered around him. He was all over the place. He was involved, you know, um, so much. It was his first kind of full year, you know, and I mentioned this with Mick Foley. It was his first full year in WWF. You know, we see, you know, the Austin 316 stuff starts in, you know, in 96, but in 97, you know, he's got these great matches against Brett, obviously WrestleMania 13, you know, one of the, you know, if it wasn't for hell in the cell, definitely the match of the year. You know, stunning Vince at Madison Square Garden. That leads to the Austin McMahon feud um, that, you know, goes through 98. Throwing the rocks, or I guess he was still Rocky Maivia then. Throwing the IC title in the river in, I guess, uh, I think that was like Bridgeport maybe. You know, all these things just, you know, really puts, you know, notice and just puts him on this. You know, the rocket just gets planted straight on him for what we what we later see in 98 and all that. And, you know, and you do have the injury. Which means it's also probably the last year we really see Austin as a wrestler, not a brawler, because the injury did, the neck injury did definitely change the way Austin had to compete in the ring. Makes perfect sense. You know, I mean, just so you're never going to see after 97, you never see a match like you did against Brett. This Austin's facial expression when Dude Love comes out is better than I think any. I mean, that that to me is a central moment of 97. Austin, what the F is this when you see Dude Love, when, when Dude Love comes out to um to help him and they, they end up winning, I think, against Owen and Davey Boy. Uh, just fantastic stuff. But yeah, I mean, just, I mean, just the name, it, it, the feud against Owen. I mean, just the names that I've been able to mention, Brett, Sean, Owen, Rock, Vince McMahon, of all things, stunning him at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, just what a year for him. And and, and and in my top 10, that only gets to number four. And that, I think, shows the crazy year that 1997 was. We talked a little bit about how this entire episode came about when David Ferguson said, you guys should do 97. I went on Facebook um, and I responded. I'm like, well, Steve Austin is clearly number one. And you mentioned Thomas Bain. Thomas Bain was like, no, I would go with Bret Hart. And that made me kind of take a step back and analyze, okay, who really was number one? Steve Austin was my number one, but he was not number one with a big gap between number one and number two when I really stopped and looked at it. Um, At the end of 1997, clearly, he was the top guy in the wrestling business. Was he the top guy in January, February, March? No, he was not. Um, And he missed a lot of time Uh, after the Owen injury, I still went with Austin. Number one, like I said, there's a lot less of a gap than I thought there was going to be. I mean, it was actually really close between number one and number two for me, but ultimately I went with Austin because by the end of by the middle of the year, it was the raw was the Steve Austin show. Either Steve Austin was on camera or they were teasing when Steve Austin would be on camera next. So Steve Austin was my number one. But like I said, it was closer than I, you know, three weeks ago. I'm like, okay, that's no contest. There's nothing to talk about. There is something to talk about. And he was not amongst the American wrestlers in the wrestling observer poll. He was not the one number one American wrestler. So clearly it's not as, as far, you know, a blowout the way I thought it was going to be, but Steve Austin was still my number one. 
Yeah, I do. And we'll get to it when we get to number one. I do have a unanimous number one or, or in it. Like there's no scratch throughs. There's nothing. I, I started my list with number one and then I kind of two through four, I kind of had to do a lot of thinking where I would slot them. And yeah, Austin, I think probably does drop a little bit for me and not drop. I mean, again, if this was a, a final four, the four could easily beat the one in this. Um, but yeah, it's it's where was he on the card the early the early quarter of the year the injury yeah he doesn't miss I guess I mean he misses a significant amount of time for sure could have been a lot longer though I guess he gets lucky there um, you know and 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 you know you're still able to use him you know with the the stuff with, with McMahon and all that but yeah I mean just for his first full year in WWF which is is just having such a fantastic year but I I can't argue with you putting him number one at all. I mean, I remember when Steve Austin was in WCW. I think I've told, I've said this on the show before, so I'll make it quick. I was like, you know, 94, 95, 96. I was like, man, I was wrong about this guy. I thought he was going to be a huge star, and I know better. It's like, you know, the, they didn't push him. That's why he didn't right. look yeah. like a star. You know, the, the, like, you don't put him on TV. You don't feature him. Well, no kidding. He's not going to get over. Right, correct. I mean, yeah, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's a night and day. Yeah, right. I mean, that, and that goes with everybody. And then he... I think the best thing that happened to Austin was going, was was starting to lose his hair, which causes him to shave his head. You know, you go from looking, I mean, you start looking like a badass. People are going to think you're a badass. You know, and I was so wrong. I mean, I, I thought the same thing that Dave Melcher did. You know, I was like, when he shaved his head, he shaved his charisma. You don't need to look like a uh, butch from Pulp Fiction. And I was dead <laughs> wrong. It, the yeah. 80s were over. That That look was no longer in. I didn't have right, that well, look, but I didn't shave my head either. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm still holding on to what I got, but, um, but yeah, I mean, then you turn the other channel. I mean, I get, I think we probably, you know, I, I don't have Goldberg in my top 10. Um, the body of work's not there. You know, it's not 98, 98. He's pretty, I don't know if he'd be my, he'd be my number two probably behind Austin. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have, you have a, a bald headed guy with a goatee and black tights on the other channel that just looks like a big muscle bound Steve Austin. There's a reason why, Goldberg and Goldberg is an NFL player had hair. Goldberg probably when he showed up to the power play and had hair. I think there's a reason they have Goldberg looking like that on the other channel. You're you're absolutely right. I did not even consider Goldberg um, for 97, 98. Totally different story. I mean, you know, night and day. And yeah, you're you know you're right. It's not a coincidence that you know oh the WWF's got Steve Austin. Well, we've got this uh, former football player from Georgia. Right. So, so have, have we hit your number four yet? My number four was Shawn Michaels and okay. it was tough. You know, he's in now we're, the undertaker, in my opinion, really is not in the argument for number one, as great as he was. Now we're getting to the guys, all of whom have an argument for number one. And Shawn Michaels did. I mean, clearly, you know, he, he's doing the DX thing with China and Triple H. He's having one one great match after the other. He is a pivotal character on their TV. They tried having him as a baby face. Uh, in 97, Shawn Michaels was just, in my opinion, not a good choice as a baby face. Yeah. And so they finally just let him be himself, let him be a heel. And he was entertaining as all get out, both in and out of the ring and you know, helped keep the WWF interesting. I mean, if they had a bomb of a pay-per-view in 97 or 96 or 95, 
Shawn Michaels was usually there to save the day. I, I went with him number four. Yeah, well, he was my number three uh, for everything you said. It was a banner year for him for, I guess, all the right and wrong reasons. Um, like you said, he bounces between being a face and a heel. Uh, great matches with Austin. Um, you know, great matches um, with, with Davy Boy Smith, who really hadn't had um, that. That was a really good feud. Davy Boy really, really, excuse me, really had not had a good match. Definitely not a great match since the, the match with Brett at SummerSlam 92. So we got five years there. Um, the feud with Undertaker that leads to that first Hell in the Cell um, that we talked about. Uh, the Bret Hart feud. I mean, my, you know, that's the feud of the year in, in, well, in the WWF feud of the year for sure, going against Hogan Sting in WCW. Um, beginning the year, winning the title at, the, at a sold-out Alamo Dome, like we've talked about, you know, months after they're struggling to fill high school gyms. Uh, DX forms. The Attitude Era forms, um, those things that Sean and Hunter were doing, that leads to the formation of the Attitude Era. I mean, I, I think for sure. But then we have to look at, okay, the the whole losing your smile stuff. He goes, you know, he's on TV in Lowell with your friend watching, crying her eyes out <laughs> that he, um, you know, he, he's got this knee injury and he's never, he may never wrestle again. Four weeks later, Dr. Andrews is on there saying, oh, no, he just needs um, he, he just needs rehab. He'll be back. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, kind of like, I mean, weird, weird hindsight there. The w, that's a hindsight, you know, that WWF would have done that, um, you know, and then how do you talk about, you know, his role in the Montreal Screwjob? Um, this, you know, you had uh, in the summer kind of that, uh, that really weird tag team uh, with Austin, that very brief tag title with Austin. And then that leads to I believe that was a King of the ring. They had a hell of a match that no one really talks about because of everything else that happens in 97, all these other great matches that happened in 97. Um, and I don't think people really talk about that match. Just like, I don't think they talk about his match with Davy boy. I remember in 97, Eric Bischoff was doing an AOL chat and someone asked him, you know, point, are you interested in bringing in Shawn Michaels? And Eric Bischoff was like, no, I will never, ever bring in Shawn Michaels under any circumstances. And at the time, I was like, Eric is completely right. And Vince McMahon should be like, OK, Sean lost his smile. I'm not using him anymore. I cannot rely on this person. Yep. And I was dead wrong. Because despite all of Sean's, I mean, I mean, you, you, we've both heard the stories about what was going on with him in 96, sure. 97. But at the end of the day, he was incredibly valuable. And if someone is that talented and they bring that much to the table, you can't just throw them in the trash. I'm sorry. And I, I honestly think that, you know, it, it's easy for Bischoff to say, hey, I'll never bring in Shawn Michaels when he's under contract to the WWF. Correct. But he, if he's actually a free agent, that changes things. Right. I guarantee, especially with two of his best friends over there, with when, with them in his ear, and I guess oh, Waltman was over there too, They Bischoff would have done, he, he would have walked to San Antonio to pick him up and fly him back in his private jet <laughs> or whatever, if he had the chance to. Um, you'd be, I mean, you'd be stupid not to. I mean, and, and you can make the argument, Sean probably behaves a little bit better without, you know, with his friends. He wanted to be with his friends. He probably behaves a little bit better. You know, who, who knows? You never know with Sean. I mean, he had, he had demons in 97 that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, 
the it's funny when I was looking back the uh, the, the sunny days comment um, that he did you know on Brett that was actually at a Raw in Mobile Alabama that I was at um, nice and I. And yeah, but I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody picked up on it. And I've actually in reading about that or maybe listened to it on other podcasts. I don't even think that Vince and them picked up on it until later that night. Someone had to tell them and Brett himself, from my, from what I've heard, Brett doesn't hear it until he gets home to Calgary and his wife is basically like, what did this mean? You know, I think his wife has put it together. That's the version I've heard. His wife has put it together what it meant, but it just kind of went off like, you know, I mean, no one in the crowd thought anything because, um, you know, but I mean, even the the sunny days comment and things like that, he, I mean, Sean was pushing the envelope, I think the entire year because he knew he could get away with it because they weren't going to release him because they knew he would show up on Nitro the next day with his buddies. I mean, I was watching live when he said the sunny days thing and my reaction was, Oh no, <laughs> I, knew I, did, exactly I, I didn't what pick that up on meant. it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I didn't pick whether it up. Or not well, I didn't hear true. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew what he was alluding to, but I, I'm, I'm going to guess you and I have the same number three. Who was your number three, Alfred? Well, well, Sean is my number three. Oh, okay. My number three is Hulk Hogan. Um, right. Hogan was awful. And every time he was on my TV, I just, I hated the guy. I hated <laughs> him so much. Not, not really the person a little bit, maybe because of all the backstage manipulation he did, but he was just someone I did not want to see on my television. His, his matches were awful. That said, who's the top guy in WCW? No questions asked in 1997 who's basically headlining all the pay-per-views who's making the machine run who's making the nwo what it is it's hulk hogan i mean i can't you know and i've i've calm i've had 25 years to calm down about it you know i can <laughs> take it a little bit more analytically now but i mean there's just no denying that hulk hogan had a huge 1997 and you know and again he's in the conversation for number one uh, no yep. question, top four. I got him at number three. Yeah, and I've got him at number two for every single reason that you said. Um, the NWO is red hot. He is by far the leader, no questions asked. I think I said earlier, um, he had the title for 50 of 52 weeks of the year. Yes, the title is a prop, if you want to believe that. It's still the world title. Yeah, I, and, and and I don't either. Um, you're, you know, it's it's not. It's You're going to put it on a guy you trust. Especially you're on, you have, you know, primetime network television. You want that world title on somebody that you trust. We'll ignore the, you know, some of the others that, that held it after the fact once Russo got involved and the whole Arquette stuff and all that. But anyway, in 97, um, Hogan has his 50 of 52 weeks. He's the top heel in the business. I, I think Sean becomes a good heel um, later. Brett also becomes a good heel in the U.S. Um, but Hogan's a great heel the whole year, dominated the world title scene. And in 97, he is still the biggest mainstream wrestler in the world. Um, Austin is not, a, Steve Austin is not a household name in 1997. No, he's not. Hulk Hogan is absolutely a household name. There is no way you could not have heard of Hulk Hogan. Correct. So, so who's, who's your, your number I'm, two? I'm get, well, Hogan's my number two, and I'm oh, guessing sorry. by process of elimination, Sean is yours? Uh, Sean was my number four. My number two, number my, my number one was Steve Austin. My three was Hogan. My four was yep. Michaels. 
all of those guys are in the conversation for number one. My number two, Steve Austin, when I when I really thought about it and I hashed it out, Steve Austin just barely beats Bret Hart as yep. as wrestler of the year. I had him number two. He easily could have been number one. I mean, just I mean, where do you start? I mean, he's the top heel in the WWF. He has a character that has never been done before where he's a baby face everywhere in the world except for the United States. And if you watch that Canadian stampede yep. pay-per-view, it's like he's the biggest baby face of all time. It was yep. just a great idea. He was a great wrestler, great matches, great interviews, the whole thing where he reunites the Hart Foundation after WrestleMania was phenomenal. Uh, and now we have to talk about the jump to WCW, the whole Survivor Series thing. It was you know one of the biggest news stories in 97. We hadn't had time to hash it out yet. You know, we know what happened. Guys, it was not a work. There is no way it was a work. <laughs> Just don't be like that. But like, you know, December or November, December 97, you know, we're all wondering what the hell's going on here. So it was the biggest story of the year. And if anyone has Bret yep. Hart number one, I will not argue with them. Well, don't argue with me because I have Bret Hart number one for, uh, and that was one. Yep. And that was, uh, I mean, that was, it's a unanimous number one for me. Um, I mean, obviously I gave thought in the back of my head, but basically it was okay. Well, it wasn't as much thought as to other guys like Austin, Hogan, Sean, um, you know, we have the same top four, but why is Bret Hart not number one? That's what it became to me. And I could not think of a reason the Canada or the, not even Canada, the, the huge, huge hero, in the you know Canada and the rest of the world, and just hated, despised in the U.S. We've never seen that before, like you said. You know, you know, and I think the Canadians are they're they're proud. You know, they they're proud people. You know, I think Bret Hart he, he was a national hero in Canada. I mean, I think he was probably as recognizable to an average Canadian as as you know, maybe not Gretzky, but I mean, some of these hockey players. I mean, I think he as far as athletes go. I don't think you had to be a wrestling fan in Canada to know who Bret Hart was. And, you know, Canada is a, it's 40 million people. That's a lot of people. Um, the Canadian Stampede, but one of my, I can't tell you another match on that pay-per-view, but that 10-man tag, freaking outstanding. That's another go out of your way to watch it if you haven't watched it or if you haven't seen it in 25 years. You know, awesome. Just, just, just fantastic. The Montreal Screwjob stuff leads into the biggest story of the year between the Screwjob, him going to WCW, um, the feud with McMahon before he leaves, both in the ring and, and you know probably backstage, the stuff with Sean, um, the great matches he had the whole year. Um, I think that's probably the first time we also saw the figure four against the ring post, which I freaking love. It just, yeah, I mean, and, and just there, there's no, there's really no reason I could not put him you know, as my number one, his body of work from January to November, you know, we don't really see him again, but then just the impact he has on the business and the, you know, it's all we're talking about. All we're thinking about November, December is, is this a work or not? Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely my number one for 1997. I mean, Brett, he, he punches out Shawn Michaels and then he punches out Vince McMahon. <laughs> Dream come true. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like I mean, we go to work, we punch out the person we hate the most, and then we punch out our boss for good for good measure too. <laughs> go home know? and put it on ice. Come back tomorrow, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he was such a great interview, and more than that, he was a great actor. I will never forget the moment where he and 
British Bulldog and Owen, like they all hug for the first time in years and the fans are booing and the look on Brett's face <laughs> was just incredible. It was give this guy an Academy Award. I mean, yep. I think you're talking me and I think you're talking me into Brett being number one, too. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't argue with anyone who says he's number one. He had. Yep. And. Again, even without the jump to WCW, I mean, he he did so much. And maybe one negative, if it's a negative, I don't know, is that at the end of the day, Vince McMahon didn't want him. He's got he's yep. this unbelievably talented guy who is just not going in the direction that Vince wants him to. He's not doing what he's told. He has it in his contract that he doesn't have to do what he's told. And right. Vince just decides, okay. I'm going with Shawn Michaels here. Interesting yeah. decision. Brett, Brett in the Attitude Era. Once the Attitude Era starts, I don't, I, I don't see it. I mean, I really don't see Brett in his leather jacket and his jorts and all that. You know, just in the, in the Attitude Era. I mean, he's just, you know, I, and I'm not. And it's funny, like, so I have Bret Hart as my number one. Without that, I am not a huge Bret Hart fan. I don't, you know, just the the constant complaining and all that kind of stuff that you just see out of him, you know, the burying guys and things like that. I mean, I think, I mean, I think to a point you have to be a, a huge mark for yourself and there's nothing wrong with that. Cause if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? But I think Brett might take that to another level. I mean, that's just a personal opinion I have of him. Um, I think even one of Sean's uh, promos in 97, even alludes to even in 97, how big of a mark for Brett, he was. And I think that's just continued to this day. Even. <laughs> you know, I think Brett definitely, you know, holds Brett's accomplishments in higher regard than, than, than many people do. And, you know, I mean, like I said, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to have confidence, but you know, Brett is one that, that definitely rubs me, rubs me the wrong way in, in some ways, but that does not take away from the fact that he was by far, you know, um, the number one guy for me in 97. I have a friend who was around Brett and Owen. I think it was 97. It might have been 96, but I think it was 97. And Brett was just being Brett. Okay. He's not on camera or anything, but he's just, you know, taking everything way too seriously and complaining yep. way too much. And my friend says, Owen just gives him a look like, you know, kind of rolls his eyes. Like, okay, <laughs> let's just, this is what we all have to put up with Brett being yep. Brett. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you said it better than me. Yep. No, I mean, it's, even I mean yeah, it, but but you can't. I I can't put that as anything that would that would lower his score either. You know, I mean no. that's just Brett being Brett, like you said. All right. Well, there is our top ten for 1997. Uh, if you guys, we're going to go on a little bit more. If you guys are not into football, then thank you for listening to the wrestling part. But here we go. We're going to get some extra innings in the NFL season. Uh, we're, we're recording this the Sunday before Labor Day. It is September 4th. The NFL season kicks off the night before this podcast comes out. So we're going to talk a little NFL. Um, I mean, let's let's start with. The divisions, Alfred. Who is your pick to win? Let, what what division should I start with? Let's go with the AFC East. Being as I am okay. a lifelong New England Patriots fan, <laughs> what are we thinking for the East? I'm thinking Buffalo probably runs away with that one. I think Buffalo is going to. I don't, I don't know if run away because Miami. I I think Miami is going to be better than people think. 
Uh, I have more faith in Tua Tagovailoa than a lot of people. I think he might have a breakout season in 2022. Ultimately, I have to go with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, you know, if you force me to pick another prediction, may I make? Is and people are going to hate me for this one. I think the New England Patriots are going to continue to slide backward. Yep. We are looking at a six and eleven, seven and ten season, and maybe the league has. Pa- Bill Belichick is the greatest NFL coach of all time, but I'm beginning to think the league is is be- is starting to creep up yep. on him a little bit. Yeah, it would not shock me if we want to make predictions. It would not shock me if this is his final year because I don't. Th- I, I agree with you that he is going that they're going to continue to slide back. I don't think Belichick has the ego to allow his last year to be some two and fifteen season. You know, two years from now or something like that. I just they're not making the draft picks they used to make. They're not. You know, they've never. You know, they've never been ones to overspend in free agency, which obviously helped them. I think get all these these guys um you you know way more about the patriots than i do but i just i mean i think mac jones is, is an okay quarterback but yeah i just don't especially with buffalo's trajectory miami's if tua has anything if tua can have a decent season um i think i i think to your point i mean miami can probably finish second in that division they may finish second in that division just because new england only wins six games one thing i am never ever going to get used to i was like before we started i was like yeah don't be surprised if new england goes six and ten i am never gonna get used to 17 games yeah no I mean, it's here to stay though i think for sure <laughs> i mean yeah it is weird saying six and eleven wait you know just in, in your mind like oh crap i have to say six and eleven not six and ten but yeah no i will never get used to it. i like having it i mean no one wanted that you know I will definitely trade it for trade, you know, trade it for uh, that, you know, the preseason game that it replaced. But um, yeah, no, it's it's it will take a while for sure. But you probably still think uh, you probably still think Milwaukee's in the American League and Houston's in the American League. It, it's that was a huge adjustment <laughs> for me. Believe me, believe me. Yep. I think I was and talking I, to somebody the other day. I don't think I'll ever say Los Angeles Chargers. That's just too much to ask. No, no, no. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I think with speaking of the the changing leagues, and I'm not talking about baseball, but I think Milwaukee is almost to the point where they've been in the National League longer than they were in the American League, and they do certainly still seem like an American League team. Well, you know, and and not to go off on baseball, it, it's very different. The American League and National League used to be very, very different. Now there is no difference between the two no. leagues. It's no, like AFC I don't think and so yeah, it's just in my mind though. It's still 1988, and you know they're playing the Twins every day, <laughs> and you know. But uh, yeah, 1988, the Red Sox are playing the Blue Jays every night. Trust me. Yep. Well, right. I said, well, the Braves and Mets and Marlins still do play every night. So <laughs> there you go. They have that three-way yeah. tag. All right, the AFC North. Who do you think in Alfred? I, I've got Baltimore. Um, you know, I think Cincinnati has a little bit of that Super Bowl hangover, that Super Bowl losing hangover. Yeah, I think I've got Baltimore probably squeaking that one out by a game or so. I guess which would probably be let's do my math right, maybe like an eleven and six against a ten and seven or something like that. I can see that. I am going with Baltimore. I'm actually going by with Baltimore by a pretty decent margin. Mm. I would have gone with Cleveland, except they're not going to have a real quarterback for the first eleven games. Um, right. 
I mean, Cleveland, they have an excellent roster up and down, yep. but let's face it, it's the most important spot in yep. professional sports, and their guy is going to be missing a whole lot of games, but look yep. out for Cleveland 2023. Again, up and down the roster, they've got good players. But I say the same thing about Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, and I think Cleveland could. I mean, I, Cleveland could hang around maybe for a wild card um, down at the end, um, depending on you know they get, they get some luck. I mean, Garrett can probably win a game. You know that defense. You know, especially Miles Garrett can probably win a game on his own. Um, Nick Chubb, I think, is going to put crazy numbers up because somebody's got to move the ball for them. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they, I mean, they might be in the conversation. But yeah, they're probably a seven, seven or eight win team, maybe at best, at best. And and Watson will be rusty coming off not playing for what amounts to two years by the time that he, yeah. um, the time he actually gets to play. All right, AFC South. Who do you who do you have? I've got the Colts basically by default. Um, I don't think they'll be very good. Um, Matt Ryan, I think will you know he'll put up some numbers. Taylor should have a great year. I think that you know Tennessee will have a will have a very bad year. I think losing AJ Brown um, really is going to hurt them a lot. I mean, they don't have a, any. Not that Tannehill is a great quarterback, but they literally have nobody to throw to, and you can only expect Derrick Henry to do so much. I mean, he does get banged up a good bit. I think kind of you know on that note, I think Jacksonville could surprise some teams. They're not going to be in the conversation for the for the division championship, maybe not. But I mean, I think winning. They could win seven games, I think, which for them, I think they've won four games combined the last three seasons. Um, if Jacksonville with a real coach and Lawrence looks good or, you know, as he as he improves, they'll have Etienne playing this year. You know, they don't have a psychopath that had no business being, you know, an NFL head coach. Yeah, I mean, I think Jacksonville could really surprise some people. And Houston will play 17 games, I guess. <laughs> They'll try. I'm going with yeah. the Colts just like you are. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm very iffy on their quarterback situation, but they have a strong roster. Uh, and again, by default, I just don't see another contender. Let's talk about Urban Meyer. My take when they hired him. And there was there was always talk that Urban Meyer could get an NFL job. I mean, there was talk he was going to get the Cowboys job at some point. And I was like, you know, in the NFL, you get one first round draft pick per year. At Ohio State, you get 10 or 11, 15, (laughs) however many guys you can recruit. And I when they hired him, when Jacksonville hired him, I was I took a wait and see. I don't know. I, I just took a wait and see look at it, and yeah. you know, maybe Meyer can just be the CEO and he can delegate to everyone. He he won everywhere he had ever been, and I mean, can you think of a worse disaster as an NFL fan? Something you you went through than or, I mean, even before no. the preseason was uh, over last year. I mean, there were stories yeah. coming out of Jacksonville that you know things are messed up down there. Well, he he had yeah. I mean, when he hires. I can't remember the whole thing, but he hires like somebody as a strength coach or something that's like basically resign immediately. Yeah, no, I can't. I mean, I, as a Saints fan, I mean, the whole Ditka thing was just was terrible. Oh, but I don't. Good yeah, one. But, but I mean, it wasn't nearly this bad. I don't think. I mean, and there was no talent on that team. There was nobody that would have won with those players, really, because that team. I mean, you had Billy, you had Billy Joe Hobart and guys like that. You know, starting a quarterback, Danny Werfel. Um, you know, guys like that at quarterback. Um. 
but yeah, I mean, it, what he, then he's, he's kicking Josh Lambeau and things like that. And I can't believe Lambeau took it. I, I really can't believe that. Um, yeah, that, I mean, the biggest difference in the college and the NFL college, you still got 18, 19 year old kids. Um, the NFL, everybody on that roster is a grown man. They may yeah, not act like grown. They may not act like it, but they are. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, you can't come in with this, you know, I'm a big deal from Ohio State. Well, a lot of the guys in the NFL were big deals in Ohio State Correct. and no Oklahoma one cares. and Alabama. Right. Correct. They don't care. I mean, they, they it does not matter. I mean, it does not matter what you did. I mean, I think and, you know, you look at a Pete Carroll that was able to make that transition back to, I guess, in his case, back to the NFL and way more successful than he was the first time. I mean, I think that's his personality, though. He Pete Carroll's a guy you just want to hang out with, I think. I think that's his personality. I have I have never had zero interest in hanging out with Urban Meyer. The uh, same here. It was an absolute disaster. I am very ho- I hope that Trevor Lawrence becomes the the NFL player that I thought he could be maybe three or four years ago. I mean, but he it feels like he's regressed every season going back to his sophomore year at Clemson. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I mean, but he's only, we have one year in the NFL. He put up, I mean, he had a, I mean, look what he's throwing to though. I mean, I think they've gotten yeah. a little bit better. I think having Etienne back and there's that familiarity there, you know, I mean, there's not many cases we can probably think of where you have a quarterback and his running back from a national championship winning team here in the NFL together. So there is a familiarity there. Um, Peterson's a good coach. I think the, you know, the table's really set for them to, to, to at least win more than the one or two games a year they've been winning, especially, and being in the AFC South with the, the Titans, like I said, I think, I think they're going to take a huge regression and, you know, Houston could be a, probably a one or two win team at best. Yeah. Um. What's his name? The guy from Stanford, who's their quarterback. I thought he did a really good job last year, and and hopefully for his sake, Davis Mills is, is his yep. name. Yep. I, yep. I'm horrible with names. The guy from Stanford he did all this. I can't yep. think of his name. But I anyway. know who you're talking about. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, he might be able to take a step forward. AFC West. What are you thinking? So I've got, and this is and this is a tough one. I do have Kansas City. Um. Only because I think that they are not, you know, they're not going to run through that division like they have, but they're on some crazy 34 and two run against that division or something. The other teams have all gotten better. Um, the Chargers are, are definitely improving. Um, you know, you've got the Broncos getting Russell Wilson, the Raiders getting Devontae Adams, um, reuniting him with Derek Carr from their, from their college days. But you've still got to prove that you can beat Kansas City. Um, and none of those teams have proven that they can yet. So I'm going to take the Chiefs. I am going with the Los Angeles Chargers. I can say Los Angeles it. because there it's right in front of me. That's the only reason. <laughs> I, I think their defense is so much better than Kansas City's. Um, Justin Herbert, I was dead wrong about this guy. I was like, man, he's going to be middle of the pack at best. No, he is a fantastic quarterback. I still think Kansas City is an excellent team. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be a real contender in January. I mean, it's really close. Here's a prediction. Denver Broncos, I think they are going to regret the Russell Wilson contract. I think they are going to regret the Russell Wilson trade. I know you have to give up a lot to get a Russell Wilson, but I just feel like he is on the downside of his career. And I think the Seahawks came out on top there. 
Yeah, I think the Seahawks came out on top, not having to pay him that crazy contract for sure. I mean, I think that I do have Denver. Actually, I went ahead and put my wild card teams. I do have them sneaking into the wild card as that last because there is that extra team now. So my wild card, I have Cincinnati, the Chargers, and the Broncos, and I just have the Broncos sneaking in there. Um, I do think that if 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 I, I'm high on Jerry Judy for some reason, I think we've been waiting two years for him to to have a full season again. That also helps having a quarterback, and I think a a an aging Russell Wilson is better than Drew Locke on his best day. So I mean, I do think that they should have put up some numbers. They have a good defense. I think Denver will will regret that contract for sure. I just don't think it'll be in 2022. All right, I can see that. As far as the Raiders go, I think they have the chance to surprise, not just because they got Devontae Adams, but because you know, they've got some guys. I think Derek Carr has always been a little bit underrated. So I, the Raiders really could go anywhere. I don't think they're going to win the division, but them making the playoffs would not shock me. No, and, and that's yeah. I mean, I think you're going to have a log jam there. I mean, and I um, I could see that I do have Kansas City winning. Like I said, you have the Chargers winning, but you obviously have Kansas City in the playoffs, and that's probably a one game one game difference there, probably for us. You know, just in the standings. And then yeah, I mean, the you could have a case of I I, I mean, I assume it could work out with the scheduling where the whole division has a winning record. That wouldn't shock me, especially since nine and eight now is a winning record. And as we see in the AFC, I mean, we've had nine, ten win teams miss the playoffs um, pretty frequently lately in the in the AFC. Seems to not happen as much in the NFC. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the Raiders definitely got better for sure. You had mentioned that you like Jerry Judy for some reason. I mean, this is going to be his third year in the league, and he's been held back by some injuries. But I mean, he got drafted. I want to say number. Number 17. Yep. If he had gotten drafted number three, I would not have blinked. So I might no. be even higher on him than you are. Yeah, he's in a keeper league. I'm in one of my fantasy leagues, a keeper league. And I think I've got him now as I think he's a night. He's worth a ninth round pick. Um, so, we're, you know, one of the things where you lose a spot every year or whatever. Um, but, yeah, he's going to need to really do something for me this year. Um, yeah, it's just been disappointing. The injuries. I, I know he had some off the field stuff in the offseason that I guess nothing came of it. Um, you know, so so that's good for him and and my fantasy, you know, implications and all that. But yeah, I mean, it, it, this is a definitely a, a, a put up or shut up year for him. He's got to stay healthy. He's got a, you know, a hall of fame quarterback, just a huge upgrade from drew lock. And, and the one game against the saints, they played the other, you know, where they had to have the wide receiver from wake forest as the quarterback. Cause they had no quarterbacks because of COVID and all that. I mean, that was, so, I mean, fantastic. Denver, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was, I, I don't think I'd ever felt sorry for a saints opponent before, <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, that was who that was, uh, that, it was just, that was an amazing game to watch. Yeah, but uh, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think Jerry Judy, probably as Jerry Judy goes, that team will go this year, I think. All right, I can see that. NFC East, who do you got? NFC East, I have the Eagles winning that one um, over the Cowboys. I think that, yeah, I mean, I think, and I say it relies a lot on Jalen Hurts. Can he improve? They get A.J. Brown. And they they really had a great draft with the the Georgia guys. <laughs> I mean, just with Davis and um, I'm drawing a blank. I'm becoming just as bad with names as you are, I guess. But yeah, I mean, just that that a great draft. I, you know, I, there, there's a bias with AJ Brown being an Ole Miss guy, but I think he is just so freaking good. 
And, you know, I think if, if Jalen Hurts can just get the ball five years, you know, if Jalen Hurts just doesn't overthrow him by more than about 10 yards, I think A.J. will go get it. Yeah, I mean, I think they've, Philly's got their best receiving combo that they've had since Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, um, who I think had a good year, and I think he can have a better year. But, yeah, I think it's really going to rely on, on – and can Jalen Hurts continue to get better? On the flip side, I think Dallas takes a, another step back. Um, I think Zeke um, – Zeke is probably one of those guys that I, I would not expect him to play the full season. Um, Dak – Dak is Dak. I don't think Dak is ever going to be an MVP. I don't think he's ever going to win a Super Bowl, anything like that. Um, I think McCarthy's a terrible coach. It's just all those things, I think, just really set up. I mean, playing in the NFC East, they should be able to get some wins just playing the Giants and the, if you want to talk about a hard thing to say, the Commanders. Um, they're going to get some wins in there. And even <laughs> yeah, if they really? With, yeah, even if they split with Philly, um, you know, there's probably four or five wins right there. But, you know, I, I don't think the Cowboys are going to just have a good year. I mean, I think their defense will probably keep them in some games with, with Parsons. And um, a rookie to look out for, Sam Williams from Ole Miss, second-round pick. I think it, I think he was as good as Aiden Hutchinson was last year. Just nobody ever talked about him because he comes out of nowhere. Um, had some off the field issues. Had twenty one and a half sacks. I think actually had more sacks than Hutchinson did. Looked great in the preseason. So I think Dallas's defense is going to probably keep men games. But I think if I had to make a, you know, if I was placing a bet on a who's going to who's going to come out winning, it, it'll be the Eagles. You had mentioned Jordan Davis. Now, Jordan Davis uh, out of Georgia, defensive tackle. The guy was a wrecking ball at Georgia. He was, in my opinion, the best defensive player in college football in 2021. And watching the draft, I'm like, why? he went like 14, 15, something like that. And I'm like, why is this? He's huge. He's athletic. You know, he he performs. I mean, that's, that's important, right? He, mm-hmm. he gets the job done and there have just been a lot of bad Jordan Davis stories coming out of camp that, you know, he, you know supposedly he's out of shape, he's immature and all of this. I, I wish the guy the best, but at least now I know why he went middle of the first instead of top of the first. I am going with the Dallas Cowboys. I think Zeke is good enough to not a great quarterback, but a middle of the pack quarterback. You'd mentioned Mac Jones earlier. I think Mac Jones, his he's going to be a middle of the pack quarterback in the NFL, and those are valuable. The guys who are like you know 14th, 15th best quarterback. I think that's about where Dak is. I like their yeah. offensive line. I love their defense. I love their receiving core. I think C.D. Lamb is going to have a big year. So I'm taking Dallas over Philly, even though I think Philly. Definitely a contender to get hot, but I I think at some point Jalen Hurts gets exposed, and A.J. Brown is a great player, no questions asked. He's an addition on the field, but I mean, is his contract such where he's a a salary cap problem in the very near future? We're not talking about the near future. We're talking about 2022, but I am still going with, with Dallas to take that division. Yeah, I think Philly, one thing, another thing too, Philly, I think, has the 31st easiest schedule, which, you know, means nothing come week, you know, until week one. You know, we don't know what some of these teams are going to do, but, you know, just based on all the things, I think Philly has like the 31st easiest schedule, um, which could probably help them out, you know, with some of those, you know, favorable matchups against the other divisions too. All right. Who do you have for the NFC North? Uh, I've got Green Bay. I mean, they're going to need. I mean, I I don't think they're going to run away with it. I think Minnesota might 
you know, if Cousins stays healthy, I think Minnesota can just get, they can score so many points. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got Rogers. Um, I hate him. Uh, he's my, probably my least favorite player. For probably my least favorite player, they're not my least favorite team, but definitely my least favorite player. Just a terrible human being. Um, but I've got them, you know, winning the North w- w- without much trouble. I don't think. Rodgers, I don't have an opinion on him personally one way or the other. Great player, no questions asked, inner circle Hall of Famer. But it's, uh, I've been saying this about Tom Brady, and it hasn't happened yet. At some point, he's going to start to show his age, and that's the only – I'm still taking Green Bay to win, but if, if Aaron Rodgers craters, this division is going to be, I want to say, wide open. Yeah. If there is a long shot out there to win a division just because of the, of the lack of competition, if Aaron Rodgers craters, it's the Detroit Lions, and we're talking about uh, – possibly a nine and eight division winner there. Yeah, I could see that. I would say it would probably, yeah, it would, I would say, I would think it would probably be Minnesota winning it if that did happen. Um, but yeah, I can see that. I've actually had the Vikings sneaking in as the, as the seventh, uh, playoff team is the last wildcard team, probably with a 10 and seven type thing, you know, might win a tiebreaker or something like that. But yeah, like you said, if that win Rogers, cause he's only, I mean, he's 38. I think, you know, he's signing these one or two year extensions. So who knows how long he's going to play or how long he's going to play for green Bay. You know, he's going to find, he, he's going to find receivers. Um, he's good at that. I mean, he, losing Adams, I think is going to hurt, but he's, he, he, he's dead. He's going to find, you know, guys to throw the ball to. He's good at getting guys to the ball. He's still mobile for his age, um, which is one thing Brady has never been. And Rogers can at least, you know, I don't think Rogers has, has lost too much mobility over the years, but yeah, I mean, I think that they're green based to class that division until someone, someone challenges them. And they, you know, aside for the 2017, when he was hurt, he got hurt for those few games. Green Bay hadn't been challenged in a while. You are probably too young to have experienced this. There was a time when the Chicago Bears were the most celebrated, charismatic star, you know, stars all over the place team in the NFL. Is there a more now in 2022, is there a more nondescript team than the Chicago <laughs> Bears? It's, it's a little bit sad. Yeah, I don't think I was actually trying to think because when we, you know, it chatted earlier about what we we're going to talk about, we talked about overrated and underrated teams. I actually put the Bears as an overrated team, and their their Vegas win total is like six and a half. I don't think they're going to come close to six and a half wins. <laughs> so I think, I mean, how can you be a bad? They're they're an they're a bad team that's still overrated. I think. Yeah, it's just I think they're a terribly run franchise. Uh, yeah, I mean they they seem you know I mean here living an hour away you know you you there's a ton of Bears fans here especially in the Milwaukee area it's not it's not all Packers like you might think but yeah I mean they're just they seem to be a terribly run franchise I think it'll it it might help them when they move to the new stadium out in the suburbs I think that'll probably help them maybe they'll make because right now they're playing in by far the smallest stadium in the NFL which uh, there's not much you can do with suites and stuff like that at Soldier Field and things like that I mean even the stories of a franchise as the Chicago Bears I mean they 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 need to you know make that extra money when they can so you know maybe things like that will help them um Justin Fields I don't think is terrible but that whole team is just you know like you said nondescript I think you know, I I, I want to share a story with you. Um, in 1990, okay, I'm at home watching a bunch of college football, and then the NFL comes on, and it's the Atlanta Falcons, and Jeff George throws a ball. 
And compared to everything I had been watching for the past two weekends, my God, he could throw a, a cream puff through a submarine, right? <laughs> I mean, just the, the vol- yeah. difference between the velocity and just the, the overall skill in throwing a ball just blew me away. The opposite happened last year when I was looking at Justin Fields. I'm like, this guy does not have an NFL arm. What the hell are they doing out there? I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I know, you know, I I hope the guy succeeds because if he, you know, he can be an exciting player, but I just don't see it. Yeah, and you might be right as far as arm strength goes. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe I'm I'm skewed a little bit because he is an exciting player and he can do things with his, with his legs and all that. But yeah, if you don't have the NFL arm strength, you're not you, you, it, the NFL will be the not for long league if you don't have the arm strength, especially you know as the starting quarterback, you know, in a division where it's an uphill battle um, for sure, especially playing against Rodgers and Kirk Cousins, you know, and if golf can put anything together. I mean, he's golf is a better quarterback than Justin Fields, but I think for sure Fields is a very far number four as far as quarterbacks in that division go. Yeah, I, I like I said, I was very disappointed watching him last year. Okay, NFC South, the now home of your beloved New Orleans Saints. <laughs> home of my beloved. Tam- yeah. <laughs> yet Tampa is the prohibitive favorite Yep. Who are you taking for this division and why? Uh, they're the home of my beloved second place New Orleans Saints because I am taking Tampa Bay um, unless Brady has an injury or goes to film the mass Singer for real or whatever all those weird rumors are. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Tampa Bay's defense, Brady, the receiver, so good. Saints have question marks. Not as many. I mean, I, I, am, I, am, I am unbiasedly bullish on the Saints. I think the Saints are an underrated team. I love Jameis Winston. I want a full season of Jameis Winston that we saw the first five games of the year last year when he had 13 touchdowns and two interceptions when he went down. They're going to have Michael Thomas back. They have Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry coming home. That, I mean, that's your that's your three receivers there. And then assuming Kamara does not get suspended, which I'm I'm hoping, and you know maybe by the time this podcast airs, we may know for we may know if he gets suspended or not. All signs are pointing to nothing, to no news being good news. Um, you have Kamara, you know, you have a, a that that defense last year that was a Super Bowl defense, but they had four different starting quarterbacks, and one of them is your starting tight end right now. Um, so I mean that it was a you know I never you know you never thought the last fifteen years you would think that the quarterback situation would have been what kept the New Orleans Saints out of the playoffs, but. I firmly believe that because that defense kept them in so many games and won some games for them. And they still almost, they were funny enough, the, that 49ers Rams game, the last game of the regular season for the, for both teams, that game went in the fourth quarter. Had that, had the outcome of that game been differently, the saints get the 49ers playoff spot. Probably one of those things that only a saints fan would know, but you know, I mean, that's how close the saints came to making the playoffs last year. And that was with, Ian Book starting a game at quarterback or, you know, and, and got um, Trevor Simeon and, and Taysom Hill and, and all that. Um, I'm probably leaving somebody out. They may have had five starting quarterbacks. But, yeah, but, no, I think Tampa Bay is still – they're going to win the division. I think the Saints will be a very tough out, and I do think the Saints, you know, finish second and make the playoffs. I mean, again, Tampa's the prohibitive favorite. I'm stealing uh, something from Bill James here. The only surprise an old player has for you is to grow old really quickly. And I've been saying that about Tom Brady for like five years, and he has proven me wrong every single time, but it's going to happen at some point. Yep. This just jumped into my head, Alfred. 
Um, if it didn't, I would have researched this. And this is how bad I am with names, okay? Basketball, the Human Victory Cigar. What was that guy's name? The Human Victory Cigar? I've never – who is that? I've never heard of that. The, the guy who went right after LeBron, he was from uh, Czech, Germany or something, Czechoslovakia. Oh, Darko? Darko oh, Darko Milicek? Okay. I've never heard him call that, I don't think. I may he have to was, look that up. He was called the Human Victory Cigar because Larry Brown would only put him in the game oh. once the game was put away. <laughs> I got and you. Refused, I got you. <laughs> he refused to develop this guy, and Darko yeah. was a bust. But I was yeah. the last one off the Darko train, okay? I was like, no, he's still only 22, and he's yeah. seven foot whatever. And I, I think, right. he, you know, I was the last one off the Darko train. Well, yeah, when he, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'm the last one off the Jameis train. I, I think uh, James really could still, he's young enough. He's got that mm-hmm. arm strength. He's got the accuracy. He could yep. come in anytime and have a giant season or he could flop. There's a lot of variants. Yeah, the, the thing with Jameis, I mean, it's, you know, he, he, he got his eyes fixed. I mean, you know, that that's docu- you know, pretty well documented that he was basically blind as a bat his first five years with Tampa. Um, he can see now. Um, he'll, I mean, he had, well, he started five games last year. He had a disastrous game against Carolina. Other than that, he's, you know, including that, 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, um, something like that, maybe 11 threes, you know, something like that. Um, coming into his, fir- uh, his first five years, in Tampa, the only person alive that threw for more yards their first five years is Peyton Manning. And that's with Jameis throwing interception after interception after interception. Still, yeah. he musters like 20,000 passing yards in his first five years. I'm huge on Jameis. I was, you know, huge fan. Happy he's with my team. Happy he's my team's starting quarterback for the next two years. And I hope that it parlays that into a huge, you know, contract. I think he's 27 or 28. So he came to the league very young. Yes, I think he, he was did. only 20 or 21 in the league. So I think he's still, 20. Yep. So you've still got, you know, injuries and performance, you know, notwithstanding, you've got at least 10 or 12 prime years. You know, I, you know, I think, and I don't think the guy's hit his prime yet, and he's still got twenty thousand passing yards already, and I don't think he's approaching his prime. And with these receivers that they've put around him, there's no excuse for him not to have a great season. Agreed, and I think you know, again, if Tampa falls off, another possibility is the Carolina Panthers. Again, my my other Darko uh, coming back around on Baker Mayfield. Uh, supposedly, he was really fighting through injuries. He was playing when he shouldn't have been playing. He is now a Carolina Panther. They have a good enough roster where I think if if Baker kind of proves everyone wrong and, and is a good NFL quarterback, Carolina could be sneaky good. It all depends on whether or not Baker Mayfield turns it around. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have the highness for Carolina there that you did. It's not really as Baker as much. It's McCaffrey's already out four to six weeks. Um, oh, is you know, he? Yeah, I, I think he's already. Know that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's already out. Um, you know, we may need Lou to edit this out if he's not, but I'm pretty sure he's already out four to six. I'm gonna try to look it up real fast. Um, but even then, okay. So let's put this: if he's not out now, I think he'll be out at some point, right? Um, because uh, you got to figure he's a, he's an injury guy. You know, he he's an injury guy. Um, yeah, looks like okay, I can't. I think. Yeah, 
could explode with a good quarterback is DJ Moore. I mean, the guy is a fantastic mm-hmm. athlete. He's had nothing but crappy quarterbacks. He, uh, if Baker shows up and plays well, I mean, look out for DJ Moore. He could be an, an all-pro receiver, one of the best in the game. That is my big prediction that DJ Moore, if Baker can come around, DJ Moore is going to explode. Yeah, I mean, he's just always needed a quarterback. Um, I am wrong in McCaffrey. So I don't know what I was thinking of. I apologize for that. It looks okay. like I, he it looks like he looks like he has yet to get injured. But I will predict he will miss forty six games at some point. So let me just redeem myself there. Um, yeah, no, I think DJ Moore has talent. Um, but yeah, Carolina, they're going to need to. They're just a, they've been a boring team to watch. Um, just a boring, boring team to watch the last few seasons. I think. Um, I think Matt Rule is 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 coaching for his job for sure. He could be. Easily, I think the first coach fired. Um, you know, if we want to make predictions, I think he. Um, a li- I was a little surprised that they kept him this year because you know the in the NFL these days you're only keeping guys for a couple of seasons if you don't see anything improving. And I saw no improvement um, out of them. Um, granted, McCaffrey, you know, missed a good part of the year as as he is is, is want to do. Um, but I could see Matt Rule being the first coach fired this year just as easily as, as you could see Baker leading them to a possible playoff spot. Yeah, Matt Rule, I if I'm you know, I'm very neutral on Carolina, but if I was a Carolina fan, I would have been very excited to have Matt Rule when he was hired as the coach. And obviously it, it just hasn't happened there. I will not go Darko on Atlanta's starting quarterback, Marcus Mariota. <laughs> I think he is just the ultimate rebuild quarterback. I was wrong yep. about that guy coming out of Oregon. Yeah, I think Atlanta just needs to watch a lot of college football and decide who they want to pick number one in the draft this year because I think there's a very good chance that, that they're going to own that pick. Um, even over Houston and Chicago, some of the teams, other teams that we've talked about that are that are really, really going to struggle. I mean, they have Kyle Pitts, going to be a good player. Um, Mariota probably the probably you know just I, I he's probably just as nice of a guy as he looks. But yeah, like you said, he is in that position because they have to have a starting quarterback. He's a rebuild, you know, just transition, whatever you want to talk about. Um, you know, waiting for the next guy who's going to, you know, do something in Atlanta, you know, has, you know, they, I guess they, they won about 75% of the Super Bowl, but that's, you know, that, I think that was, that was definitely their peak. My second favorite game of all time, the first being when the Saints won the Super Bowl, my second one being when the, the Falcons blew that lead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, the drop off of Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota is, is huge, I think. And, and, and I'm not, you know, that bullish yeah, on Matt Ryan at all, but yeah. No, no, I think Matt Ryan is just about at the end. Finally, the yeah. NFC West, who do you have? I've got the Rams repeating as champions of the NFC West. Um, mainly because I mean, I think the 49ers, I think the 49ers are what will hang around, um, especially with Jimmy. I'm not big on Trey Lance. Um, you know, I think, he, and I'm not that big on Jimmy either. I think just, I mean, Debo, I mean, I think their defense with Bosa is, is definitely huge. Um, I think that'll help them hang around. But yeah, as far as, I mean, I think the Rams will, will win that division. Um, getting Robert Woods back, I think will be a good help. I think there is a concern with Stafford's elbow, but assuming that that is not a lingering injury or anything that knocks him out of any significant games or anything, 
I do think the Rams, you know, just that Stafford and Cooper Cup connection, you know, and now and having Robert Woods back, I mean, I think a lot of people forget he uh, misses what about probably the last six or eight weeks of the season. I think he's probably the best blocking receiver, or at least one of the best blocking receivers in the NFL um, as well. So, I mean, I think, and then, you know, Aaron Donald anchoring the defense. I mean, I think for a Super Bowl champion, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking them to repeat. I'm not picking them to get to the Super Bowl, but, you know, I don't think that they missed too many. I don't think they lost too much either. I am actually going with an upset in the NFC West. And I say this because I know the Rams are great on defense. Uh, Stafford is a great quarterback, but I keep reading that Stafford is banged up and is expected to kind of limp through the season. And that's a big deal. I am and San Francisco. I'm the same way as you. I, I will never understand that Trey Lance trade where they traded up and gave up three firsts for this guy yep. who played at North Dakota State. What, what, I mean, what are they thinking? Yep. I am going with the Arizona Cardinals. I think they take a right. giant step forward this year. I think Kyler Murray takes a giant step forward. I, I think, like I said, the Rams are still a good team. I think they'll make the playoffs, but I think Arizona is the team that is going to surprise a lot of people. I would say, and I'm going to disagree with you, you know, uh, big on this because I think Arizona, when they were, they were 10 and two last year, where they started off like seven and oh, eight and oh, then end up 10 and two and then just fell off a cliff. And I think they're still going to, and I think they're still falling. I mean, I think they're probably the most overrated team. If I had to, I mean, they're they're the first team I wrote down as, as, you know, most overrated team. I think their Vegas win total is nine and a half or something like that. I don't think they're going to approach that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not as sold on Kyler Murray as you are. Um, I think that ten and two that they were last year was just a fluke, thanks to a bad schedule or thanks to a favorable schedule. And I don't see them sniffing uh, the playoffs this year. The thing with Kyler Murray, it's always going to be okay. Can he stay healthy? Because as soon as mm-hmm. he got hurt last year, the Cardinals uh, their their season fell apart. If Kyler Murray can stay healthy, I think he's going to do big things. Now, I say that Kyler Murray isn't small. He's tiny. He is tiny out there, noticeably smaller than everyone else. So can they keep him upright? Does he have the right receivers? I mean, hey, I got to pick an upset in here somewhere. So I'm I'm going with them. (laughs) All right, let's talk Super Bowl. Um, All right. One of my, you don't like one of my picks, but tell me who you think is going to win and who you think is going to get in, but not win. All right. I've got a Buffalo winning and it's going to be probably hell for me for two weeks having to hear about this team in the Super Bowl, but it'll all be worth it on February 10th or whenever the Super Bowl is when Buffalo defeats the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. Okay, we've got the same Super Bowl champion, Buffalo Bills. Uh, Josh Allen, I I watched some of his preseason uh, tape, which is an outdated (laughs) uh, word. But, I mean, he looks like just what an arm on this guy. My God, I think they are going to win the Super Bowl. I have a surprise NFC team that I think is going to get to the Super Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys led the NFL in points scored last year, and they have a good young defense. I think Dallas, I, I, I'm not crazy about McCarthy as a coach, but I think they have enough talent where I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to get to the Super Bowl in a reasonably, I want to say a weak NFC, but a, a, 
an NFC where I really don't see that team that stands out and makes me say, okay, this team. So that that's my pick, Dallas to win the NFC. I just made a lot of friends and I just made a lot of enemies. <laughs> yeah, and that's and I think you said weak NFC. That's kind of why I have Green Bay kind of winning even without a, a star receiver. And you know who knows who Rogers true top receiver is going to even be really come week 17 or 18, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I mean, I think Rogers gets to another Super Bowl before he retires. And I see no time like the present with the NFC being kind of weak. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I don't, and you know, I, as we talked about earlier, I don't even have the Cowboys in the playoffs. I'm sure. Yeah. And then that's probably, it. you know, I think that your concerns about McCarthy, I think I have the same concerns about McCarthy. They're just way more, um, I think he's such a bad coach. He will cost them a game that that could mean that could mean everything for them. Oh yeah, and like I like I said, I agree with you. I'm not not crazy about him as a coach, but I think the talent is there. Final NFL thing. Um, your pick for MVP? Oh, Josh Allen. Um, it's it's his, it's his year. It's his time to shine. Um, I think everything NFL will be Josh Allen this year. I agree. I, Kyler is my dark horse, but at the end of the day, I think this is going to be Josh Allen's year. Yep. And I think, um, yeah, and I've got the only, I I guess if I had a dark horse, it would be Justin Herbert. I mean, I think he'll be a, a, a long second place, probably sets up for him to to kind of take that next step in 2023, maybe, because I think he's got all the talent in the world. But that, I mean, the AFC quarterback situation is just so, so stacked. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be, he's going to be around a really, really long time. And he's going to have a thing to say about these things. Joe Burrow, um, you know, Lamar, even Lamar is still a young guy. I mean, he's still, you know, he's another guy that came in the NFL really young. Um, you know, he's, he's still a young guy. So I think the AFC quarterback situation is going to be a good thing here for a while. As a Patriots fan, when they, you know, he was on the board and they did not take him. And that was kind of a gut punch for me. Alfred, let me leave you with this. A quick anecdote. You live in Wisconsin, right? Yep. I, I Here's my Wisconsin story. I'm in Chicago in 89 for a wrestling thing. And I want to go see the Milwaukee Brewers play. So one of my friends who lives in Chicago is like, oh, you just get on the train. Uh you take the Kenosha line out of Chicago and it takes you to Milwaukee. Alfred, guess where the Kenosha line takes you? It would take you to Kenosha. It took me to this place I'd never heard of. My friend and I are on the train. Everyone else is off. We're waiting for the train to start again. And the, the guy, the conductor is like, hey, get off. This is the last stop. So we're yeah. stuck in Kenosha, <laughs> Wisconsin. Yep. And yep. we missed the first four innings of the Brewers oh, game. Yeah, that's a good 45 minutes or so. Yeah, there's the Hiawatha, that Am- the Amtrak runs from Chicago to Milwaukee, the Hiawatha about, oh, God, probably seven times a day. Yeah, so that that would have been the way to go. Um, but, yeah, the Metro only gets to Kenosha, and then it literally stops and kicks you out. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to us. So, Alfred, yep. listen, it's, we're, we're recording this on Labor Day weekend. I really want to thank you for taking the time and doing an excellent stick to wrestling with us. Thank you very much. All right, John, it's a pleasure. Look forward to hopefully being on again. And, uh, yep, always a pleasure. Yep. And you have a good, safe uh, Labor Day. You do the same. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Brian Last for giving me this forum. I want to thank Luke Hippelman for all the great work he does, making the show sound a lot better than it deserves to be sometimes. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Go Vols, beat Pitt. This time.
This concludes our podcast day. Thank you.